You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Mike. Again, my name is Adam McKeldry. I get to serve here as the associate pastor. I am so honored to be able to worship with you all today. Um, I received probably one of the best gifts in my life a few months ago. Uh, I, was, I was given the opportunity to go on a, on a paid trip to Israel, a study trip. And when I was first given this offer to go, I declined it. Because I was like, I really want to go to Israel, but I want to go with my wife. So I said no. And I called my wife up and I was like, hey, um, I just got an offer to, to go to Israel for free. But I said no. And she calmly and confidently said, you're an idiot. <laughs> and she's right. I normally am. After talking for a little bit longer, I was like, okay, I, gotta, I have to do this. I have to take this opportunity. So I called the, the gal back up. I said, hey, look, my wife and I talked about this. She confirmed it for me. I'm an idiot. I would be honored to take this trip. And so I went. And it was amazing. It was so amazing to experience God's text with all of my senses. It truly was one of the highlights of my life. And I had a lot of incredible experiences and teachings on the trip. And there's one that I want to... And one of those happened here on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. Those are some friends of mine. We got Millie and and Laura and James. And it's funny is I actually met those three on the study trip that Josh and I went to Turkey last year. So the fact that I walked into the Chicago airport that night and saw these three was such a relief and it was so amazing. I was like, oh, I'm going to get to experience it with some people I know. And we had a great time together. But it was here that our day culminated, our last day in Jerusalem, the last day of teaching. And Brad Gray, who was our teacher on the trip, finished a teaching here that I think is completely perfect for what we are doing as a church right now in this, this spring. As we are walking through the book of Acts. And what I want to do today is I, I want to share with you guys what I learned that day. I want to share with you the, the lesson that Brad gave us that day. But, full warning, I am going to just try to squish two hours of teaching into about 30 minutes. So it might feel like you're drinking from a fire hose at some moments. But on the bottom of your notes, I gave you a couple of links to some teachings that he has on his website that have to deal with this same stuff. But we are going through this, this series on Acts. We're actually hopping through some different uh, accounts that are happening in the book of Acts. If you didn't know that, it's your first time here, you, you've been away for the last couple of weeks. We started this series a couple of weeks ago when Josh told us about the 40 days that happen after Jesus' resurrection that he spends with his guys. And he basically takes them through a summer school and is reminding them of all the things that he had taught them. And what he's doing throughout this process is he's empowering them to do something with those, that teaching. He's calling them to do that. 
And then last week, we got to see as Peter and John did something with that empowerment. And we saw them stand up to the religious leaders and teach and heal people. And something that was coming out through that whole process is that people began to notice that these guys were bold. And there was a boldness that was within them that didn't seem to come from themselves. And it didn't. It came from somewhere else, actually someone else. And today we're going to go back in the text to an account that happens in between these two events that we've already talked about so far in the series. And it's an event that I would say next to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection could be one of the most important things that has occurred and how it changed the relationship between God and his creation. So come with me, guys, over to Acts chapter 2. So we're in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And we're going to pause here for a little while. Because I want us to talk about this day of Pentecost. I don't know many of you and your stories, your, your church stories, or your church histories, But I grew up in a couple of different denominations, actually quite a spectrum of denominations. But my formative years, my adolescent years, I spent in an Assembly of God church. And if you guys don't know anything about the Assemblies of God, they are a church denomination that uh, declares themselves Pentecostal. And so for me, growing up, most of my young adult life my understanding of what the day of Pentecost was, was was formed by the teaching and experiences that I had in an AG church. And so when I read this section of text before in Acts 2, I had always had this understanding that the day of Pentecost was something that, that happened in the upper room where Jesus and his disciples had had the, the Last Supper 40-ish days before that. And I'd always had this mental picture that the guys are sitting in the upper room, just hanging out, praying, and all of a sudden, there's a loud, rushing wind that comes through there, and these flaming tongues, like from rolling stones or something, come down upon them. And then they start to spill out of the room into the streets, and they're, they're speaking in tongues, and people think they're drunk, and they're crazy, But Peter's like, no, that's not what's going on. It's not what's happening. And he gives this sermon where 3,000 people get saved. And it is this amazing experience, but I thought it was this one-time thing that basically started this Christian movement with the Holy Spirit, this special connection with God. But what I know now is that everything I knew was, was incomplete. I had a complete, incomplete understanding, and I was missing a ton of connections that are going on in this account. 
a ton of amazing connections that God is making to his own story. And I want to share those connections with you guys. Are you ready for that? This is where I need you guys to buckle down and to focus. All right, I'm going to start throwing some stuff at you. And you could start, the temptation is to start to glaze over. But I promise you, if you stay engaged and focus on what God has for you today in his text, you will not be disappointed when you leave here today. Are you ready? All right, ready or not, here we go. All right, so for us to start this, we have to step out of Acts chapter 2 and go back in time in Israel's story. Back to the time when, when God had called his people out of Egypt and rescued them from being slaves for hundreds of years. And what happens is God is trying to teach them what it means to be a free people. They've been slaves They have no idea what it means to be free. They have no idea what it means to serve and worship a God like him. So he starts to give him instructions on how to live. Instructions on how to be a blessing to all the nations that that will be around them. And one of the things that he gives them, one of the instructions that he gives to them, is on festivals and feasts. God teaches them how to party. God is not a party pooper, all right? God is the life of the party, all right? So we're, there are seven major feasts and festivals that we find throughout the t- in the text that God establishes for them. Uh, and what they do is they're, they're tied to things that are going on within their lives in that moment, in that, that day, but they also point back to things that have happened to, their, to them in their story, in their history, There are four feasts that occur within the the very beginning of the calendar year, and are those four feasts that we're going to talk about today. All right, so the first one that comes up is Pesach, or as you and I would call it, Passover. And many of us know what this one is. It happens around Easter every year, right? But this is one of the three greatest feasts that happens every year. And it's a great feast. It's, it's called one of the great feasts because one of the requirements for pa- Passover is that all Jews are supposed to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate it. No matter where you left, live, everybody is supposed to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate Passover there. And it's a seven-day festival that starts on the 15th day of the first month for them. It marks the beginning of their harvest season, particularly the barley harvest, because barley grew faster than wheat, so it was ready before the wheat was. So it begins that harvest for them. But remember I said there's a connection to their past, and most of us kind of have an idea of what that is. But it was a celebration for them to remember the day that God reached in and redeemed them as a nation from slavery in Egypt. The next festival that pops up right after Passover is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now this one begins the same exact day as Passover, lasts for seven days as well, 
But the thing with this feast is that they can't eat any leaven, no yeast, for seven days. And the crazy thing about this feast is it takes a tremendous amount of preparation. And even to this day, when Jews are celebrating Passover, this is part of their preparation. They have to remove all of the yeast, all of the leaven from their homes leading up to Passover, leading up to a feast of unleavened bread starting. So for seven days, they don't eat anything that has leaven in it. And it's remembering back to when God quickly and suddenly drew them out of Egypt and brought them in, you know, heading over to the Red Sea. So that's what they're celebrating and remembering that one. The third feast that comes along is called the Feast of First Fruits. Now this feast occurs the day after the Sabbath during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a little confusing, but I have a diagram I'm going to show you guys here in just a minute that will give you some light on the subject. All right, so this feast is part of the agricultural, the the celebrating of the, the harvest. And what would happen with this feast is if you were a farmer, which many of them were, you'd go out to your barley field and you would find the best stock of barley that's there ready to harvest. And this would be the first one that you cut that year. You'd cut that head of barley off. You'd bring it into the temple, give it to the priest, and the priest would use that as an offering of thanksgiving to God. Thanking God for the harvest that he had given you this year. Praying that he continues to provide in the harvest to come. And so it was this this celebration of, of God providing the first fruits of the season. This day also marked the beginning of another feast called Shavuot. We're not going to go into Shavuot just yet. We will. But I want to show you guys that diagram I was telling you about. If you were listening and you were catching how these things were playing together, they happened basically right on top of each other. And I want to show you a calendar week and show you how they would play, how they would fall during the calendar week. And I've, I picked a specific week for you guys to check this out. Now, this is the very week that Jesus came into Jerusalem, was arrested, crucified, buried, and raised to life. So what you'll see here is that Friday is the 15th day. And that was the beginning of Passover and the beginning of unleavened bread. And this particular week in the calendar year, Sabbath just happened to fall right after Passover started. So that means the very next day is the Feast of First Fruits. You guys notice anything peculiar? about how this all lines out. Do you see how these specific events in Jesus' life happen on the exact day these feasts, these festivals are occurring? 
when the people of Israel are remembering and celebrating the day that God reached into Egypt and rescued them from the, the slavery that they had been, been uh, subject to for 400 years in Egypt is the very same day that Jesus Christ gave up his life and died on a cross and was buried to free you and I from slavery to sin and death. And three days later, I know it doesn't look like three days, but the Jews' days are different. When you watch those videos, you'll catch that, he'll explain it more. But three days later, on the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus rises from the dead to be the first fruits of the resurrection and the resurrection to come. There's no way this happens by accident, guys. How cool is God? How cool is God that he, at the fullness of time, Paul tells us, he sent his son so that this exact thing could happen. But there's more. There's more to the story. Remember I said Shavuot begins on the Feast of First Fruits on the 17th. Now Shavuot is also known as the Feast of Weeks. It is also one of the three great feasts or festivals that occurred during a year. Passover, which we already talked about. There's one called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That happens in the fall. But those two, those two feasts are different from the Feast of Weeks because those two feasts are seven days long. Shavuot is a one-day celebration. So why is it called the Feast of Weeks? Because what, what's going on is God tells them to count seven Sabbath days 49 days from that day of the Feast of First Fruits. And on the 50th day, they are to celebrate. And they are celebrating the, the barley harvest coming in and the beginning of the wheat harvest. But it is on that 50th day that this occurs. Now, that number is very significant. You know, most of our New Testament is written in the Greek language. And in the Greek, the word for 50th day is Pentecoste. Or we might say Pentecost. This is the day of Pentecost. The day that we're talking about about back in Acts 2. My misunderstanding as a kid that this was a one-day event that was catapulting this new movement of Christianity in this relationship with the Holy Spirit was incorrect. Pentecost had been happening for thousands of years. And they'd been celebrating the harvest that was going on. But there was something else. There was something they were remembering the day of Pentecost. 
And they were looking back in their story and remembering the day that God gave them Torah at Mount Sinai. The day that he gave them his very words, his very instructions on how to live. How to fulfill that promise of being a blessing to all nations. I want to do something with you guys today. What I want you guys to do is we're, we're going to travel back to Exodus chapter 19 and 20 together. But what I want you to do is I want you to check out and look at this picture of the Sinai Mountains. And as you're looking at this, I want you to imagine yourself in the midst of the people of Israel. You're back in that day when God gives them Torah. And I'm going to read from Exodus 19 for you. And I just want you to listen. Listen to what's going on that day. Listen to the different elements that are present as God comes down. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And the Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and received God's word. It is in this moment in their history that they are thinking about on the day of Pentecost every year. In fact, Exodus chapter 19 and 20 is part of the liturgy that they would read every year. There's some other texts that they'd read, but they would read that every year, remembering this moment in their history when God gave them Torah. And that's what Pentecost was. So now that we have a little bit better understanding of what the day of Pentecost is, let's jump back to Acts chapter 2. Starting verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I have to pause for a little bit again. I'm sorry. Many of you may not be thinking of this, but like for me, like I told you growing up, I pictured this happening in the upper room. Because the text says that they were... They were in the house where they were sitting. 
And so my understanding was, all, and my mental picture was them sitting in that upper room where they were with Jesus. But I think for us to get the complete picture of what's happening on this day, this very special day, we have to address this first. Because now, from the discipleship and tr- learning that I've had over the years and my experience in Jerusalem, I can definitively, be, definitively tell you all there is no way this happened in the upper room. No way. There, this is a, a 3D model of Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Museum. It's to scale. You can see the Temple Mount and how much it dominates the landscape. But the, the traditional location of the upper room is in the upper left section up there. And I think you can notice how close those buildings are. And they didn't just do that for fun. That's how it really is. I've walked through the streets of the old city. Like, those are tiny streets. And the, the buildings are super close together. There is no place up there for 3,000 people, over 3,000 people, to hang out and listen to a sermon from Peter. It's logistically impossible. That's just one of the reasons why I don't believe it was up there. There are other logistic reasons, but I want to jump to some textual reasons. Throughout the text, the temple of God is referred to as his house. It's because he re- that's where he resided. God lived in the temple. Another place happens in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50, he says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, this is Jesus, after his resurrection, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And the last reason I don't believe it happened in the upper room is because this is Pentecost. This is the great festival of Pentecost where thousands of pilgrims are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the day that God gave them Torah. And where are they going to all fit? Right there. On the Temple Mount. That's where it happened. So I want to ask you guys again to use your imagination. And picture yourself up there on the Temple Mount with thousands of other Jews from all around the world celebrating the day that God gave you Torah. And listen as I read Acts chapter 2. And what's going on? 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven <clears throat> came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Does this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like what we just experienced at Sinai? I hope it does, because it is. It is Sinai happening again on the day of Pentecost on the Temple Mount. It's happening all over again. You see, on Mount, at Sinai, they were on a mountain. And same with Pentecost, they were on the Temple Mount. It was also called a mountain. At Sinai, there's thunder and lightning going on, a great storm happening. At Pentecost, a rushing wind. Sinai talks about a trumpet that is blasting, and, and there's a trumpet blast at Pentecost also, which I didn't hit this morning, but when you watch those videos, Brad will tell you where the trumpet blast comes during Pentecost. There's fire and smoke at Mount Sinai. And there are tongues of fire coming down at Pentecost. Fire and smoke is always a representation of the presence of God. God came again at Pentecost. And like at Sinai, where he gave the gift of his word to his people, instructions on how to live, how to go out into the world and show people who he was and how he was different. At Pentecost, he gave another gift. It was the gift of his Holy Spirit. So that once again, his people can go out into all the world and introduce them to who our God is. But there's a pretty big difference this time. 
Because before this day, in order for people to experience the presence of God, they'd have to go to the temple. Because that's where he lived. But on the day of Pentecost, that all changed. You see, Pentecost was the day that God changed his address from a building to his people. And that address change is still in effect, folks. We together are the temple. We together are the house where the spirit of God resides. It's not in a specific building or in a specific place. It's in every building, in every place, because that's where the people of God are. That's where you are. Everywhere you go, you bring the spirit of God with you. And people have the opportunity to experience his presence through each one of us. That's some pretty exciting stuff. And others, I don't know what you're going to draw from this time that we've had together so far. But if I had to suggest a couple of things that I hope that you'd walk away with today, it would be this. First, we serve a very intentional, brilliant God that nothing happens by accident. And he shows off how awesome he is when you look at how deeply connected his text is, how deeply connected his story is from the beginning to the end. It's all here. This, this collection of, of books, of letters, of writings and poems. This is awesome stuff. But I know how intimidating it can be sometimes when you look at this thing. Now you hear something about how all these things are connected in the festivals and Jesus dying and on the cross and the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And you're like, man, what the... How would I ever find that out on my own? Where do I go to find out all this information? It's daunting. It's intimidating. I'm right there with you guys. It is daunting. It is intimidating. But here's what I know for sure is that this book, this collection of books is, is not intended for us to study on our own. I believe God's intention for us is to study and learn this together in community. To learn from one another what God is doing in their lives and how he's revealing the truth to them. If you're trying to do it on your own, you're missing out. Just last week, I had the the opportunity to sit down with my mentor, and we had a Zoom call because he's on the other side of the country. But I set up this mentorship with this man because... I respect how he studies the text. I respect his knowledge, and I want him to 
Fill me with it. I want to know how to do what he does. And for an hour, we sat and talked about a specific section of text that I've been studying for a few weeks that I've been trying to understand better. And I shared with him what I was seeing, what I was learning from it, and he did the same. He's like, here's what I've learned. Here's the research I've seen with this. He shared with me what his mentor has showed him with that. And it was awesome. Even though at the end of it, the conclusion was like, I don't know what's happening here. There's lots of theories, but no one can say for sure. I was like, oh, well, on to the next thing, I guess. But it was amazing to study the text and community. And finally, real life, the thing I want you guys to walk away with today is a new understanding and excitement for who the Holy Spirit is. He's a gift. A gift from a loving Father. And we cannot treat this gift like the sweater your grandma knit for you and gave you on Christmas that you only wear when she's going to be around. Like the Holy Spirit is not a sweater to put on because you're coming to church or because you might see a fellow Christian. If you've made that commitment in your life to follow Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him and, and make him Lord and Savior, he has gone to the Father on your behalf and asked him to, to give you the Holy Spirit. A comforter. A helper. A convictor of sin. A revealer of truth and righteousness that is always with us. God changed his address at Pentecost, folks. He's no longer in a building. He's in you and I. And we get to take him everywhere we go. And we get to celebrate that. Each and every day we have the opportunity to show our world, our community, our workplace who our God is. And they have the opportunity to experience his very presence because he lives inside of us. Well, this is the time in our service that we uh, get to celebrate something else together. If you're new with us, we take this opportunity each week to celebrate communion. You don't have to be a partner here or even a regular attender at Real Life to, to celebrate with us. We just ask that you have, you've made that decision to commit your life to following Jesus, making him the Lord and Savior of your life. If you've done that, please celebrate with us. If you haven't, please, please refrain. Just like the festivals that we've spoke of today, communion is a time that we get to celebrate and remember. We celebrate that we're all together worshiping the God of the universe as one. And we remember 
the day that Jesus gave his life to free us from the slavery to sin and death. Scripture tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, he was having a Passover dinner with his guys. And during the dinner, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember and celebrate together. And then after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which I will pour out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember and celebrate together again. Heavenly Father, first off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the gift of mothers. Thank you for the gift of fathers. But mostly, Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you have sent your spirit down here to help us, to comfort us, to to reveal your truth to us. Thank you that you have not forsaken us or left us, Lord, to be on our own but that this spirit spirit empowers and emboldens us to go out into the communities, to go out into the world and show people who you are. Let people experience who you are, experience and feel your presence through us, Lord, each and every day. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.